over 17,000 subscribers and more than 1.1 million views on YouTube. We've got to be talking about a B2C content creator, not a B2B brand, let alone an agency with a fewer than 15 full-time employees, right? Wrong. Those stats are the running tally for the HubSpot Hacks YouTube channel produced by SimpleStrat, a marketing agency and HubSpot Diamond Solution partner based in Omaha, Nebraska. In this conversation with Ali Schwanke, the founder and CEO of SimpleStrat, she shares the keys to starting and sustaining a YouTube channel for your agency, the pitfalls of over-engineering the process and over-producing your videos too early, and the specific tools and tactics that Simple Strat has used to drive new opportunities for their agency through their efforts on YouTube. If you stick around to the end of the conversation, you'll hear Ali's thoughts on how to leverage the current opportunity with YouTube Shorts and how to make more video content with always thinking up brand new topic ideas every single week. As always here on Agency Life, we open up with a story from our guest. So let's hear from Ali about a key moment early in their video journey when she realized something was working. So most people know us today for the company behind HubSpot Hacks. So we've been running that for a while, but that actually wasn't our first foray into video. So this is kind of the behind the scenes of the behind the scenes. And we had, I'd bought into the idea that video was very powerful. We'd hired a full-time video producer and editor, and that was before anybody had budgets for video. So at that time, I believed that our team could be on video and I wasn't sure if this person was very shy, they're reserved, but when they were on video, they were such a different person. And the feedback we got was like, they're so relational and like, they're very humorous. And that whole, like what we're craving today is that human element in video. And it wasn't an element of perfection. It was just like, man, he's so relatable. And that really got me to believe in the fact that we could go with better production, but not perfect execution because we wanted to remain those people behind the camera. And ultimately, you know, you still see that in our HubSpot hacks content, even after he's gone on and moved on to a new company. That's so interesting. So how far were you guys into your initial foray into video at that point? Where did some of that feedback come from? And what did that look like before it was what HubSpot Hacks is today? Sure. Well, at first we were making videos to both advertise our company as a, because we were more of a local-based company at that point. And we needed the business owners in our region to know who we were. And we wanted to create content that just helped educate. Long before the how-to videos were the stake in the sand that they are now for content strategy, that was still my belief was that's going to be what people are looking for online. So when we put this individual, we had a rough script and this person would read that rough script. But then we'd also, that is at the time that Instagram, this dates me here, had IGTV, right? And so we were doing stories just came out, IGTV, and we did this like random spoof cooking show. And the spoof cooking show on Instagram was like him making terrible leftovers as an employee. And so it was this kind of like funny way. So what it taught me though, is like to be more comfortable on camera, you have to have a lot more reps. And if you're constantly doing the best level of video production all you can, you're not going to get enough reps because you're constantly needing to get better at a quicker pace. So our, our IGTV stuff give you a chance to kind of experiment and not worry about it being so tied, you know, buttoned up. And at the same time, he and, and anybody in those videos got better on video by just doing that. 
I couldn't agree more. You find that it's about those sets and reps. Like Alan Gannett talks about this in the creative curve that mm-hmm. just just doing something doesn't necessarily make you better, but it is a key component. And then when you layer on intentional practice, that's really where the expertise starts to come in. So you guys started, I remember IGTV, by the way, and, <laughs> and was involved with some clients um, at Sweetfish. We were doing some stuff there. So I'll date myself with you there. Started there and then HubSpot hacks initially was some just starting with loom and and continuing with that hey we're not going to put a ton into production value we're going to get more reps we're going to practice we're going to review the film tell us a little bit about that evolution and you know with youtube whether it's b2b or b2c there's kind of this spectrum of entertainment versus tactical advice where would you say hubspot hacks in the early days sat on that spectrum to give people some context as we unpack more of the journey of growth and what people can learn from that with YouTube as a legitimate marketing channel for agencies. I think people think YouTube is a channel, just like you said, but I'd like to prefer it as a learning method. So if you think about your content as an educational component to customers understanding your value, YouTube becomes the way that people who are visual learners, or now if you listen to just audio, they process that differently. And I'll tell you, as a person that I, my team knows this about me, I tend to be a visual person. I also draw like at the end of a meeting, I will show you my notes and there are a bunch of scribbles. They will not make sense to anybody else. But in my brain, they drew myself a picture, right? YouTube is a way for those people to engage in that. So that was really the hypothesis that we went out on. It wasn't, is YouTube going to be a viable channel? It was, will people learn visually? And is this going to be something that we can sustain? So we did that knowing Loom would be an option. Because if I go into this thinking, I have to produce a video every week for the rest of my life. It sounds exciting until about four weeks in and then you want to die. So so not getting yourself in over your head, like being being that person that proclaims a marathon at the first of the year and then your training gets going. You're like, that was so stupid. What am I doing? You have to approach it with this growth mindset. And Loom was a way for us to validate if we could actually get, we'll call them the hooks right. So just because you have a channel doesn't mean that you're nailing the first 10 seconds. What do people want to hear? How do you keep their attention? And you can learn that with low-level production and great strategy much better than high-level production and poor strategy. Yeah, so it sounds like that approach of doing good enough. You're not putting something out that's going to damage the brand or just you know look terrible, but you're focusing more on the sets and reps and then and then reviewing it. You know, one of the things I think, whether it's an agency or a lot of the B2B marketing teams that they serve, I see a lot of folks in B2B that are either afraid of YouTube. Partially, I think we've addressed it a little bit. Hopefully people are encouraged by what you're saying that you don't need tens of thousands of dollars in production value every month in order to be successful with YouTube. HubSpot Hacks has proven that with now over 17,000 subscribers and 1.1 million views. And people will see if they go back to the initial videos and, and what you have now, there are some changes and some leveling up in the production value. But I wouldn't say it's anything that just is going to scare anyone away if they if they look and say, hey, our team could produce something like this. Why do you think so many agencies and B2B marketers are either afraid or just baffled by YouTube, given all of the rambling rant I just shared there? Yeah, YouTube is scary because it it comes with this status feeling. When you say you have a channel, it somehow is different than saying you even have a podcast. Podcast is still this 
not that podcasts are not as respectable as YouTube channels, but by the very means of I need to show up and make sure that my my face shows up as well as my voice, which is sometimes challenging. You have to look the part. Your nonverbals need to be, they have to be in line with who you are. You can look on inauthentic in video, not planning on looking inauthentic. But on podcasts, you know, you, you can show up in your voice. You can concentrate just on one medium. I will give you advice if you're looking to get started on YouTube, and that is most of the YouTubers or or brands that you're looking to emulate on YouTube, it probably isn't their first rodeo. So I want you to think about this. If one of your favorite, like some of my favorite actors, have you ever gone back and watched some of your favorite actors' first movies? They weren't great. They're rarely coming out of the gate as a great actor, but they also did the very best they could at that very specific moment in time, given their skills and given the opportunity. So we have to think more like that because we are in a media creation world. And if you're not already thinking it, your competitor's thinking it. And that is, we are now in a media first, media first brand, then my company brand world. And if again, if you're not, your competitors are probably thinking that they're going to try and overtake you by building an audience and, and siphoning off their attention. I love that. So Allie, tell me a little bit today about what really guides your strategy on YouTube from how you guys think about topics, how you research what you're going to talk about next on the HubSpot Hacks channel, how you get into a rhythm of production, how much of that aligns with, you know, maybe HubSpot product updates since HubSpot Hacks is known as the unofficial best place for updates in and around HubSpot on the internet. How has that evolved and what does that look like today for folks who are saying, okay, I hear you about the production value. I hear you about getting over the intimidation, but our agency is still a small team. What are some of the nuts and bolts to maybe make it a little bit more approachable? The way it started is we were looking to satisfy video search traffic for keywords based on how to do common things on HubSpot. So I'll pause that for a second and say, when you do first start any video strategy, figure out what your number one goal is. For us, our number one goal was to not, subscribers are a nice byproduct, but they're simply a means to an end. If your videos are not getting valuable watch time, you're probably not gonna get subscribers. But the securing our, our spot on Google as like someone types in how to do X in HubSpot and one of our videos shows up, they're not going to just watch it a little bit. Like if they wanna learn how to do that thing, they're going to watch it. So that was our number one goal. And as we have moved along, awesome, we're getting search traffic for this. Now, can we keep this up? So once you satisfy your original strategic goal, then the question becomes, how do I either scale this or batch this or whatever? It becomes more of an operational question. And I think sometimes people try to do the operational thing first before they've ever done the first two. And they over-engineer the heck out of the process because they haven't actually gone through it. So, you know, 100 episodes later, I'll tell you, we're continually reworking our process now because when we first started, we were not doing LinkedIn carousels with top takeaways from our videos. We're going to start doing things like that now, but we didn't try to do all of that stuff at once. We just published the video, used mine and my co-founder's personal brands and our company brand to promote that plus search traffic. So I will say it's changed. How we look at this now is kind of a three-tiered strategy or three-tiered approach. One's gonna be the strategy of the video itself. So is it designed to garner search traffic or is it an update from a previous one that we garnered search traffic for and it needs to be updated because the interface changed or the way you use that thing in HubSpot changed or whatever. So that's one. Um, if it's not search traffic, it might just be our clients because we do HubSpot consulting too. 
our clients are asking us this question over and over again. And for us, it shows really good brand value and also probably proves to be valuable to anybody who isn't yet a client that we need to show you how to do HubSpot outbound calling. We just do. Our video coming out next week, it'll probably be out by the time this airs, is how to do HubSpot outbound calling. Okay, three clients asked about that in the last month, so we should probably do a video. Client-driven, current onboarding-driven, whatever that is to, to get success with your current clients. And then the last piece is going to be, again, like you have this like teetering scale between how valuable will it be and how much time needs to be put in to get it out. So we have one video that we are really working hard on to garner a very specific type of traffic. That video is probably going to be 20 to 30 minutes in length. It has a lot to do with demoing specific things inside and doing a lot of Q&A. And we're going to have blog posts that correlate to that. So it's like, that's almost what I would call like a pillar type of content. If you're thinking about content strategy and written, you have pillar content, pillar blogs. This is more of a pillar video, but it's going to be in the slot of one of our regular releases. So it has both a regular release schedule and a bigger distribution plan because of the type of content it is. So you have to have all three of those components, you have to have strategy, the operational piece, and then also basically, how are you going to make sure that you hit it for both the short term and long term value. And then we have fun stuff like we're now doing shorts. And so we're going to have different series on different days. And I'm not sure if it's nailed down yet, but we might sort of somewhat decided internally today that our shorts on Friday will just be bloopers because everybody loves bloopers. And uh, <laughs> I've seen your bloopers on LinkedIn and they always make me laugh. They're just fantastic. There were so many good things you said right there, Allie. One of the things I do want to double down on is the time it takes, the point of diminishing return, mm -hmm. especially for other agencies listening to this. I mean, a lot of agencies feel like the cobbler's kid with no shoes, right? They rely on word of mouth and customer referrals. But you guys have found as not a huge team, right? You guys don't have a massive headcount at SimpleStrat to put out a lot of video content consistently. So what are some of the nuts and bolts of how you guys determine the point of diminishing return? How many videos do you guys plan to execute on a monthly basis? How much time do you spend? Like, Take us into some of the tactics to maybe shed some light on a, another agency owner who's maybe thinking, is this possible? Like I, I, I hear it. I'm a little bit encouraged, but I'm not quite sure, you know, what would the day-to-day -day kind of look like? Yeah. This is also where an analogy comes in helpful. If you sign up for a marathon and you get into your training, you then think that the marathon is the goal. And we're not doing a marathon here. We're building a running habit. And so you're building a video and YouTube habits is what you're doing. So if you think I'm I'm going to launch this channel and we're going to run like crazy, sometimes you need to sprint in your content production. But if you sprint all the time with your video production, you're going to burn out and it's not going to work. So what I just revisited with our team is because we're we're adjusting a little bit of our strategy because we're incorporating some shorts and we're going to be incorporating actually webinars now twice a month that are designed for longer form learning. We're going to be talking about stuff that probably doesn't have search potential, but is going to be very relevant to the HubSpot user today. And so again, like as we talk about those things, our HubSpot hacks goal is right now, we need to execute to this level. And I have kind of a list of what those things are. And we're going to execute to that level. And we publish every week at this time, regardless. So everybody knows that the goal right now is not, yes, we're going to grow subscribers, but those will be a byproduct by us showing up consistently for our audience that we have built and the byproduct should be growth. Now, once we get past that, then we're going to say, okay, now we're going to re-optimize all these videos. Let's go in through and revisit all that. But too many times everybody tries to do all those things at once. And if you are just starting out, 
I'm going, it's going to sound silly. The ability to execute weekly with a video series is actually your biggest obstacle. It's not the strategy. So think about minimum viable products and think about how you can be unique and different. Nobody needs another Me Too series. What is it that you have to offer? And then from an editing perspective, this is where I think I have a unique perspective. I have video editing is one of my pieces in my background. I also think in terms of process and like sequential things. So I have a premiere template built so that if we need to bring in additional editors, it's easy to train that person into that editing process. It's not just like, oh, let me go on. First of all, we don't go on Upwork because we've not had good luck with, with the type of people we need to edit. Okay, solid tip right there. Yeah. There's two types of video editors. And if you do edit video, I'd love to hear from you on your perspective on this. But there are video editors that can chop things up in software based on direction. And then there are video editor producers that help tell a better story with their editing. You typically don't find those people very well because they're typically editing their own content. Those are the creators, you guys. Like those are the people that are telling great stories with a bunch of random content from a trade show. You're not going to be able to do that if you just are hiring someone and saying, make this into a short. It's just not going to be interesting. So if you can execute consistently every week, that process is what matters more than your than your creativity and your strategy. Because um, you might have a one-time hit, but you're not going to consistently publish weekly. So you touched on earlier, Allie, one of the ways that you guys measure success is you've done some keyword research and your video is showing up on the first page of Google when people ask that question about some HubSpot feature, something like that. What are maybe some of the tools you guys use to do some of that research? And what are some of the other ways that you guys measure success? You look at the impact that the YouTube videos are having on your sales process, on your brand awareness. Can you speak to some of the pieces there, both on the, the front end of the strategy and then measuring success on the back end too? So let me talk first about the keyword process, because this is a thing that if you haven't talked about this yet in your marketing department, you need to. And that is, are you capturing demand or creating demand? If you are capturing demand, people are already searching for something that you are doing. There's a variation on how they say it. But if they are completely unaware of their problem and they don't know to search for you, keyword traffic's not going to matter a whole lot because people don't know they need a new mousetrap when they thought that their mousetrap was fine. So your uncovery of that content that's a whole call on content strategy that we're not going to talk about on this podcast. But if you're doing capturing demand, you have to do a couple of things. And one is have a conversation with your customers. I have an Evernote file that I keep. And I also like transcribe calls like this, where how do people talk about their problem in the context of HubSpot? Since we do HubSpot consulting, we'll ask our sales, sales folks like, what were you asked about last week? And how did that go? And again, every single time, like I'm on LinkedIn, people are responding to threads there with questions and comments. We now live in an age where you have insight to the customer conversation in so many ways. Slack communities, Quora, Amazon book reviews, LinkedIn, Twitter. Like, oh my goodness, if you can't figure out how to say it in your customer's words, you are just lazy. Like, you're just being lazy. So we, we start there. We'll do keyword research into two areas. One, SEMrush is a really great tool to help us see how people are searching on Google from a desktop and mobile perspective. So we'll catalog that information. And then TubeBuddy is our YouTube tool of choice where we're looking into, to see how people search on TubeBuddy for those phrases as well. In YouTube, it's very different because people search on YouTube more from a how-to show-me perspective than they do on Google. So oftentimes we'll try to figure out like, is there an opportunity to shift this? And then we'll also do a basic study. So this is where your analysis, if you don't know how to analyze video, like go find some resources to do it. But if you type in, let's say how to run a podcast, 
And the first video that comes up on YouTube, you watch it and you're like, they didn't answer that question. Ding, 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 ding. That's an opportunity to create a better video. And I will say for everyone listening, the biggest opportunity right now is not to create a YouTube channel, it's to create better content than what is currently out there satisfying that search term. So if you have thought YouTube is saturated, and saturated means lots of videos, sure. Is it saturated with videos that are really answering questions in a way that the person looking for the information gets it? So those are the tools, TubeBuddy, SEMrush. And then when you use Google or use YouTube wildcard, it's just basically like Google auto-suggest. You type in a little thing at the top. So if I type in how to make, it'll probably give me like how to make chicken, pot holders, beer at home, like whatever. And all those auto-suggests with the end of your keyword string are, this is not my strategy, but this is one that was taught by Digital Marketer back in the day, was think about your strategy as like you have a bracelet. And your bracelet is the how-to phrase. So let's say how to use HubSpot might be my bracelet phrase. And then my charms on that bracelet would be how to use HubSpot for sales teams, how to use HubSpot for professional services, how to use HubSpot, whatever. There's a lot of, you can study a lot of how all that fits together. And if you are really, really good at how you're watching your videos on YouTube, you'll see that HubSpot or HubSpot, YouTube tends to suggest videos in that fashion for you. So again, those are, that's kind of the strategic way we look at the keyword traffic potential for YouTube and then how that shakes out into like what we should create a video about. And then ultimately, like, how do we make sure someone finds all those videos together? Really great stuff there. And I love that visual for those who are just listening to the podcast version of the show. You can also watch us on on YouTube as well. Speaking about YouTube on YouTube, how meta does it get? <laughs> but the, the bracelet analogy is interesting because another tool I've come across, I believe this is from Neil Patel and his team, Answer the Public. Oh, they sure. literally look at the search terms in that way where there's a circle and it's, you know, the core question and then the branches that come off of that. And you can kind of see, ooh, there's a lot more branches off of this, right? And I, I love the way that you called out even Google and YouTube auto-suggest, especially if you're doing something related to HubSpot or maybe another piece of marketing tech that you're creating content around that your agency specializes in. Going back to something you said earlier, you go from, hey, our account managers are getting a lot of questions about HubSpot outbound calling. Go to Google, HubSpot outbound calling, and then just leave a space and see what Google auto suggests, because mm -hmm. there's likely going to be a lot of intent and a lot of search volume around those pieces. So good news for agencies. You're probably familiar with Ahrefs or SEMrush tools like that. Add in TubeBuddy or another tool like vidIQ that is specific to YouTube because that search is different. But also the good news is it's still about what is the search intent and is the content that's currently ranking actually matching that intent? If not, then there's greenfield opportunity is basically what I heard you saying there, Allie. Yeah, definitely. There's one more thing that people really have to lean into on, on YouTube and, and getting that search traffic. So the click-through rates that are coming from those impressions, and that is the importance of good titles and good thumbnails. In certain areas, you can be super let's say, straightforward and basic. So how to upload lists in HubSpot. Great, because everybody needs to know how to do that. When it gets into HubSpot calling, so I'm going to go back to that original example I just gave you. Our clients had not thought to even Google how to use HubSpot calling. So the fact that we'd optimize around that search phrase, like not a big deal because they would have not thought to Google it. Your next question there should be interesting. 
why didn't you think to go research how to use this? And whatever their answer is to that question is the angle for your video. So I'll give, here's a little spoiler alert, is the reason why HubSpot Calling was not talked about inside of the company is one, they had no idea how it worked. And the biggest pain point, the reason why it came up is because HubSpot Calling automatically, if you dial on mobile, it will automatically log the call, bring up a screen and say, how did the call go? And you can put your notes in. So for sales teams that are having, I would say, challenges in documenting and following processed descriptions inside of their company of how they should do sales, Outbound Calling removes the fact that now I have to go in and log all this stuff. And when I said that, they were like, whoa, I didn't know that. So the video is HubSpot Outbound Calling, how to simplify your sales process and not have to log any more calls. Done. That's it. Like, so if you think about Mm -hmm. you you still as a video creator have to be strategic in how you position your content, just like writing content to make sure that you're going to not just end up being Logan, we have to make sure we're not going to be replaced by the avatar AI peoples, fake peoples, whatever you call them, robots, because they could create a avatar that says how to do outbound calling in HubSpot, pull up your HubSpot dashboard and blah, blah, blah. I need to add business context for my video to be super hyper relevant and helpful to my customers and not just how to. That's a great point. And it's really timely. I mean, I've seen a lot of people on LinkedIn, for instance, recently saying you need to lean into video because generative AI is kind of taking over the the written space and you can't do that with video. <laughs> There's a lot that yeah. we could unpack out of just that statement. So we won't go there, but to touch on AI for a second I do think that it's coming. We we have seen some of those really terrible auto-generated videos, like you said, of do this and do that, whether it was AI generated or kind of hacked together with some automation of like taking a script and then putting the automated voice to it. But to your point, video is one way to kind of protect yourself against that, but video with analysis, with insights, with the business context, right? Because your video about outbound calling, the angle was stop the manual work and the manual logging of calls in HubSpot. That's actually, that was the question behind the question, but you don't get that necessarily from just looking at keyword search volume on SEMrush, you have to incorporate what are your account managers and your salespeople in your agency hearing from their customers. And and you've kind of got to look at the overlap between what the tools are showing you and then qualitatively what you're hearing from your team that's talking to customers as well. And so speaking of the humans, we opened this episode on your story about one of your team members. You didn't think they would be great on camera, but then they surprised you. Another thing you and I have talked about, especially for agencies, is the danger of the founder or CEO being the only one on camera. What's impacted your thinking on that? And what's your advice for agency owners listening to this saying, Hey, I agree. Allie's kind of opened my eyes to reducing some barriers to video for marketing our own agency. We want to go there, but there's a pitfall you want to make sure that they avoid, right? Yeah. Agency owners are definitely people that you need to see on camera some way, shape or form. They don't have to have their own YouTube video or YouTube channel. So I'm not here to say every agency needs to have a YouTube channel. That's not, but you can 
use opportunities like this that we have right now where you've been interviewed and then repurpose that content over and over again because to you, it seems like it's old, but to your audience, it's new. And that is probably my biggest secret for people will often say, Ali, I see your content everywhere. And I said, well, I'm not recording content every day. <laughs> we just happen to be really good at putting it back in your feed and, and re-spinning it and putting some new lives on it. But agency owners definitely need to have their thought leadership out in front. So if it isn't video, it needs to be something. It needs to be Outside of this, we're seeing a resurgence of newsletters from personalities, marketing personalities. We're seeing, even though Twitter seems to be totally abysmal for brands right now, we're seeing a resurgence of individual people driving interesting conversations on platforms like Twitter. So as an agency owner, you can't escape the spotlight. You need to be there because people want to follow somebody that knows where things are going. And they look at you as an agency owner and a leader to know, gosh, this world's so crazy right now. Marketing's already super vague. And now there's AI and there's this and that and like... How, how do I keep up with all of it? They're looking to you. So that's one thing. I'd say the other thing for agency owners to realize is, and we're doing this at our company, if you're in everything, you then tend to look smaller. So we've broadened our HubSpot hacks. We now have a new team member. His name's Will, who's in a lot of our videos. And Will is amazing. He does a great job with clients on calls. And so he said, hey, I would love to show this in our video. Can Can I try it? And I said, heck yeah, let's do it. So he's in, we have two videos coming out tomorrow about how to create quotes and customize quotes in HubSpot. And those are both will. Our webinars, we're gonna start getting more of our team certified internally to deliver webinars. So we've got it again, you'll hear this with me. We've got a process around that so that our team looks the brand without getting it. Like he does not have a Lego wall behind him. Is that a big deal? Eh, probably not. We've now established enough of a reputation that it should be fine. But getting other people into your content, you can't just wing them in there, but there has to be some training and a little bit of give. Like, is it going to be perfect? Probably not. Is mine perfect? No, absolutely not. I love that. And I can speak to that a little bit as well from my time at an agency. So some people who follow my content know I spent about four years with a podcast production agency called Sweetfish. And I experienced both of those things you were talking about. I start, When I first joined, I took over sales from the founder, James, and we were still figuring out kind of our, our target market and started asking customers, what do you mm. think of when you think of Sweetfish? And they're like, well, James, like it was all tied to the founder right? And so that's something that most agencies need to overcome. The nice thing is about being in an agency, you've got all these talented people who already know different aspects of marketing. Some are going to be great on camera. So you have more people to tap. And the second thing was, as I started to get more active on video, being guests on other podcasts, we didn't have a YouTube channel, but I was getting active on LinkedIn. And so I think the parallel here to you getting more people within SimpleStrat on video is the same as my journey at Sweetfish. People started to show up on mm -hmm. sales calls with me and say, oh, mm -hmm. Logan, when did you found <laughs> Sweetfish? I'm like, I'm not the founder. But it leveled up my credibility in the eyes of our prospects for the agency in a way that wouldn't have happened if they weren't listening to me on our podcast or seeing me on video on LinkedIn. So I think there's a challenge and there's an opportunity unique to the agency space for folks who are taking your advice here. Ali, we talked a little bit about shorts. And I think if we're doing an episode on YouTube right now, we would be remiss not to talk a little bit about what's going on with shorts, how it creates a bit of an opportunistic moment right now, maybe especially for agencies who've not touched YouTube at all. What do you see going on there? And how does that play into leveraging video and specifically YouTube for an agency right now? Do you think? I have a love-hate relationship with shorts <laughs> at the moment. 
So side note, I'm not sure how many folks are listening here have a Slack channel or something something like that. But we, we recently introduced a Slack channel inside of our company called Vent. And this Slack channel, you have to use all caps to be able to vent about things. And I'm going to be venting about shorts. The reason why the love-hate relationships exist is right now, you need to do what any platform you're using's algorithm tends to prefer. And right now, YouTube is pushing shorts pretty hard. Now, we see that in the the scope of the founder or the founder, the creator. So we've got creators that are doing shorts and they're, you know, funny and entertaining, whatever. But how does the average business take advantage of shorts? Well, this is the place where if you have shorts, you have a chance to create less polished content because there isn't, honestly, there's not a lot of room for graphics. Like the bottom of the short is covered up by the subscribe, the title, whatever. And then by the, on the top, like if you're on mobile, the top is also covered up. So you almost have this like 60% real estate in the middle of the screen, which doesn't, and it's also small. So you can cut stuff from an interview like this. You can cut things together, but this is where you have to have a very concise hook and takeaway. And there was recently a, um, I can't think of what agency did it, but they did a, a study on a bunch of, of channel shorts. And they found that between 20 and 40 seconds was about the ideal length of a short. And if you think about that, if there's a cut every like two to three seconds, that's still a lot of cuts and edits for a very small piece of content because it's just like goldfish. Like we got to keep, we got to keep them swimming, got to keep them going. So what we're doing though, is we're looking at shorts and this isn't our idea. This is an idea from, um, gosh, I wish I could remember his name. He used to work at YouTube, then went to Instagram, but he's talking about shorts the way that you would talk about different types of, let's say, primetime television. And so we're, you know, if bloopers happen to be what we release for shorts every Friday, and then Tuesdays is our top three Tuesdays, and those are like takeaways for HubSpot. And then we've got, I don't know, things about, think about the night show where they do like mean tweets. Like that's a segment of a night show. So what are the segments you can do on your shorts and not just regurgitate stuff because there's enough of that online. So we're thinking about shorts more in terms of small series. And then we are seeing subscribers from our shorts, like not a lot. We have 17,000 subscribers. Maybe 20 of them came from shorts, but we just started using shorts this last month. So there's probably a lot more to share there. It'd be interesting if I put out 24 shorts in a 24-hour period, what would happen? I don't know. I got to have time to create 24 shorts to test that theory. <laughs> yes. Yes. I, I mean, to to our point today, we're talking about how agencies with limited resources, especially if they feel right now like the cobbler's kid with no shoes, which is almost cliche in agency life, yeah. where's that point of diminishing return? So I think that's the, the nice thing there, though, is mm-hmm. that serializing something oh, for sure. actually makes it a little bit more approachable. Yeah. Right? And you have an easier way to think about the production of that because if every Friday I'm doing a blooper, I can tell my editor, hey, here's a bunch of footage from the last three shoots. Can you just make these into three reels? I shouldn't have to creative direct that. That should be a no-brainer. I love that. So two final questions as we round out the conversation today, Allie. You guys are starting another YouTube channel separate from HubSpot Hacks. And as we've talked about, you know, we we shared it from the very beginning of this episode. You mentioned it there again. You guys have 17,000 subscribers, 1.1 million views and counting right now. A lot of success. Why would you start another channel? What is the strategy there? What's got you doubling down, but not doubling down on the same channel, but spinning out to another channel. Tell me a little bit about that decision. And maybe that will lead into my final question, which would be what's your top two, three, four pieces of advice for agencies thinking about leveraging YouTube. But let's start with what are you guys doing next at this stage after the success you've already seen with HubSpot Hacks? Yeah, HubSpot Hacks is bit about two and a half years old now. We're closing in on three years here. But the reason for the second channel is because of the success of HubSpot Hacks, we believe in staying the course with our audience. And this is something that you see 
a lot of, I'll go back to the actor analogy. Anybody who grew up in the 90s, early 2000s, like Friends was a was a very important sitcom at that time, had tons of followers, but very few of those actors have gone on to have a career outside of that sitcom. And when it comes to content, your viewers want you to stay there. If we started talking about strategy in addition to HubSpot, all of a sudden we'd be attracting people who don't also use HubSpot. And they'd be like, wait a minute, I like the strategy stuff, but your HubSpot stuff is like, just like boring. I don't want to watch that. So we start watering down our entire audience to the point where we now lack relevance with the initial place we started. I think it's Sean, the owner of Think Media says it this way. He says, when it comes to strategy for your channel, what did people expect when they signed up and how do you give them more of that? So when you subscribe to HubSpot Hacks, we promised HubSpot tutorials and HubSpot tips and tricks. That's what we promised. This second channel is a lot more about marketing strategy and marketing tactics. When I'm talking about how do you structure a cold email campaign so that people want to open your emails? Okay, I could do that showing you HubSpot. I probably will show it on the HubSpot Hacks channel, but the actual strategy of good outreach is going to go on this other channel. And that's called Marketing Deconstructed. So it has a different, you know, look and feel to it. Ironically, it has, I have Lego blocks behind me because it has a very like Lego Tetrisy feel. But that channel also will be a build in public so I can show people, here's what I'm doing. Here's how it's working. Here's the progress. And yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. Yes, I'm glad that you called out uh, Sean and Think Media. They're Absolutely. a great resource for everything YouTube. I would just highly encourage people to check that out. If you've gotten value from what Ali's sharing today, you're going to love Sean's content as well. Well, I already alluded my last question as far as this segment, Ali, goes, but tell me a little bit, uh, what are kind of your top pieces of advice for other agencies looking to lean into video, try YouTube, maybe they're intrigued by shorts, where would you suggest that? them start? What would be on your do this next list for them? Sure. Well, I will actually have you start. I'm going to give you an analogy to think about to close here. There's a picture I have on my desktop that's this beautiful castle, and it's enclosed in this giant thick forest. And anything that you do, especially video, that you have to think about that because there has to be roads to get them to that castle. So you might have like, we might have a podcast interview like we're having here, and it's wonderful content. But simply by tossing that up on YouTube, people aren't just going to go find it. There's so much content out there that you have to think about the road to get people to your content as much as you have to think about the content itself. So if you are an agency and you're looking to leverage video now using the faces and likeness and and thought leadership, probably the next step, if you're not doing video production regularly, is to go have a couple conversations like this, go be on a podcast, go be interviewed, have someone on your team interview you and do that consistently for three months. Have one video a month and then simply piece that out and release a piece of that every week on your social and your emails, make it so that your audience believes that you have started this big video journey, but you've done three core pieces and you've distributed it so that it's it's snackable, they can enjoy it, and then there's the larger video if they wanna watch the whole thing. That's a good way to get started. You might also find that there are things you need to work on as a video host or guest that if you haven't seen this, I posted it on LinkedIn earlier this week of things people do on video without being aware of them. And it's like face touching and coughing and moving and the microphone's wrong. You may find that you're in violation of nearly all of those things. So you probably want to fix that before you invest a bunch in a YouTube channel. 
That's great advice. Very tactical. And we'll have to link to that post in the show <laughs> notes of this episode because it it just had me laughing. As soon as I saw one that I was like, oh, yes, that one, that's the best one. No, that's even better. You were triggering people in the in the comments section, I'm sure yep. there. That was, that was a really good one. Well, Ali, this has been fantastic. We can't let you go without our final two pieces of every episode here on Agency Life. We've got our fast five and an opportunity to give a shout out to someone who's impacted your journey as an agency leader. You ready for the fast five? Let's do it. All right. Let's say someone gave you 10,000 bucks a month to help you better run your agency. And you've got now access to this expanded budget, no strings attached. How would you think about using that immediately for your agency at Simple Strat? Yeah. If I had a hundred thousand dollars today, I would bring in people. I think add more to the staff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Right now the certain roles. You yeah, we, for, for sure. Yeah, we actually, I would, I would hire video and audio editors right now with that. All right. Keeping with the theme of the episode. I love it. What are a few of your all time favorite books on business marketing strategy or things that have impacted the way you run your agency? Yeah. One of the books that has, I, you know, when you first read it, you don't tend to think about it as much until it becomes applicable. And that is, there's two ones built to sell and that is how to run an agency and, and really think about the process versus you being like the the product, I guess you could say. And dovetailing into that, the e-myth is another one that I think we as agency owners or even professional services, so whether you're a software development shop, an accounting firm, whatever, we tend to think that we're really good at the thing. And then when we build a company, we realize that we're not good at the company part because we thought about like, well, I know all the things. This Why don't people just buy it? And you really need to think about building the product and the process and not having to know all this, all the stuff about marketing or accounting or whatever. So those two books have, have kind of kicked my butt in more ways than one. And I'd highly recommend if you haven't listened to either of them listening while you drive, they're just, they're good mm-hmm. stories to kind of provoke some thoughts for you as an agency owner. I love that. All right. Number three on our fast five, what's one mistake you've made in running your agency that you will never forget? Never deliver news over email. <laughs> Oh, as I say this, there's there's a person that if you're listening, you'll know what I'm talking about. I once sent a very intense email to our team with just like, let's do it. Let's hit some goals. And it was not received in the way that I initially attended it to be received. So one, you're never as good of a leader as you think you are. And two, there's always an opportunity for you to better communicate any point, good, bad, indifferent, like just read it in a nice voice, read it in a, in a mad voice and step away for five minutes. Don't send it. Read it if it's been written in all caps, if it's in your venting Slack channel. Yes, exactly. Yes, that might need to be the third one. Yeah. I love it. All right. The final two are my favorite of our Fast Five. What do you think is the hardest part about agency life? Managing an ever-growing list of client expectations. I think that that's probably true of any professional services company. But especially now, this was shared with one of the folks that I follow on Twitter today. In the growing conversation around AI, we not only are educating our buyers or our, our clients about this vague world of marketing, now they're educating themselves about the technology that's supposedly powering this vague world that we all live in. So being able to kind of tailor and, and balance the two sides between education and having firm boundaries, that continues to, to plague both owners and account managers and the whole team when people aren't sure what they're buying and they're not even sure what they're buying anymore at all or if a human's doing it. Yes. Just add more questions to that. Uh, That's so, so true. All right. To end on a positive note, what do you think is the best part about agency life, Allie? I have never been in a position where you feel more energized by new things every day. So while it's exhausting to think about some of the changes in educating our clients, it's part of my personality. And I hope as an agency owner, you see this. You typically are the one that you're trusted to go to if there's changes in the industry. If you see something like 
social media examiner used to have a segment called in the wild. And it was like, I first saw this on YouTube or Facebook or LinkedIn. Has anybody else seen this? And we have a channel dedicated to that inside of our company. And we're constantly talking about things before our clients see them, which is just exciting. I love that. All right. So to keep the good vibes going, who is one person you want to give a shout out to as we wrap up the conversation today, Ali, either someone you've learned from or someone personally who's impacted your journey and your experience in agency life? Yeah, actually, I will give a shout out to my co-founder, Tyler Samani Spronk. He is currently, as we're recording this, enjoying some much needed vacation. But I think when you're in a leadership role, you need to have folks that you're able to not only bounce ideas off of, but take hard feedback. And he's been willing to come to the table and, and challenge my ideas as I have for him. So I would appreciate if he was listening, he would do the same for me. And again, if you don't have that person, you need to find that person. I love it. Well, everyone, thank you so much for spending time with Allie and I today. If you're not following Allie on LinkedIn, Allie Schwanke, uh, look her up on LinkedIn, look for HubSpot Hacks and now Marketing Deconstructed on YouTube. Any other resources you want to throw out there for folks today, Allie? Those are probably the two best. If you are a Twitter user, Twitter tends to be a good place to find me as well. Good conversations there, but LinkedIn and YouTube are going to be the, the staples. I love it. Allie, thank you so much for your time today, unpacking things on a channel that often mystifies us in B2B and especially for the agencies who look at, hey, we've got to, especially in this environment, find new ways to market our agency, whether we're a marketing agency ourselves or whatever niche they find themselves as an agency. It is a way to future-proof the business. So thank you for getting so tactical and spending time with me, sharing your journey, marketing your agency, specifically with YouTube as a growth channel. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to Agency Life. And if you made it this far, you're probably enjoying the show. If so, you can help other agency leaders find the show in about 14 more seconds. If you're listening in Apple Podcasts, you can simply scroll down till you see ratings and reviews and tap the number of stars you think the show deserves. We'll really appreciate it. And so will the other agency leaders who find the show based on your rating. And if you're looking for even more content to support your agency life journey, check out teamwork.com slash agency life. There you can search through past episodes, get access to the agency life newsletter and find additional video content to support and inspire you as you continue on this crazy roller coaster ride that is agency life.